Hi guys, Cade Wilcox here, host of the Primitive Podcast. Thanks for joining this week's episode. We have Kimberly Graham. She's the Associate Vice President of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Texas Tech and runs the entire innovation hub at the Research Park, which is a really cool facility on the campus there at Tech. Really enjoyed hearing her insights on leadership and really pleased that you would join us for today's episode. Thank you. Entrepreneurs wear failure like badges of honor. This is how I know I'm living a life on this planet and failure is the process by which we can iterate through and learn through. I feel like it's the greatest equalizer and I appreciate being a part of watching someone else's failure and helping them to rebound and find the appropriate path for them. And even for myself, I lean a lot on the people that I surround myself with that have gone through challenges and have become successful despite those challenges and failures. Kimberly, thanks for for joining us. Really appreciate you, uh, you know, joining the Primitive Podcast. For those who don't know who Kimberly Graham is and, and the work you do, tell us a bit about your background and about the Innovation Hub at Tech. Oh, absolutely! Thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate the invitation, and it gives me a chance to share some of the amazing things that we've got going on here in Lubbock, Texas. So I am the Associate Vice President of Innovation and Entrepreneurship, and so that's a big title and a big way of saying I help to champion startups and entrepreneurs. And so I came on board at Texas Tech about five years ago, and essentially to lay the groundwork and the foundation for developing programming that supports entrepreneurs and their journey. Um, And when I say entrepreneurs, I say that generally. Um, We support students and faculty and staff and alumni and people in our community. Um, We don't really um, have any boundaries with the kinds of people that we help. Uh, We use best practices to develop our programs. And, um, you know, I think what, what we try to do is meet people where they're at so that if they have an idea or they have an invention or and they've never done this before that we um, are able to create community around them because the entrepreneurial journey tends to be lonely and we help them through these best practices so that we develop better humans people that know how to solve problems Um, one of the biggest challenges startups have is identifying appropriate product market fit Sometimes we create things people don't necessarily think we need. And, um, and so we, we spend some time making sure that they do that through our programming. Um, and so we have some competitive programs. We give them a chance to win some money um, because startups need money. And um, we help test their ideas so that we know that they work. Um, and from a technical standpoint, that's a, that's a big deal. When you have you know, an R1 university mm-hmm. in your community, you want the science to make a positive impact in that community, and we call that a commercialization process. And so um, we, I run a Texas Tech University Accelerator, and um, that's a year-long program where from beginning to end, we walk a team through everything from forming that company Um, to a minimal viable product, their first revenue, and then how to pitch to an investor. That's really cool. So really similar to Y Combinator or something of that that effect? Very similar to that. Um, The difference is um, 
we are associated with the university, and so we're really education-focused. Mm. Um, and a Y Combinator is backed by a venture capitalist, so they're ROI-focused. Right. So it's a little bit different. Sure. Um, but our best practices and our rigor are just as um, challenging as a Y Combinator or Techstars. That's really cool. So what what's the breakdown of your participants typically? Are they primarily students? Are they a good balance and mix between students and faculty and community members? I mean, do you have kind of a general profile of those participating in the program? Yeah, I'm proud to say that we have a diverse group of people that are participating. And so um, we have community participants, and those can be alums or just people that live in our community. Um, we have student-focused programs, and so those will predominantly be student, and that's to kind of get them inspired sure. and, and think about um, coming to college and creating jobs instead of taking a job, mm. right? Um, and then we have um, programs that are uh, a little bit more focused on deep technology, and so uh, moving uh, these technologies from the lab um, out to the marketplace. Mm. And so you'll see uh, teams of students and faculty going through those programs. But it's very diverse, and I'm proud to say that we have a lot of participation both from the community and inside the university. That's really cool. Uh, who, like when someone goes through the Excel- accelerator, who are the leaders or you know types of leaders that are helping those participating in the accelerator go from kind of idea to, to market? You said it was a year long. So like what kinds of people or, or, or principals or whatever you want to call it are, are invested in them over the course of that year? That's a great question. Um, I take pride in the fact that um, I've been a champion for this thing called the MIT Venture Mentor System. And so I mentioned earlier that we use best practices here. So for the past... I don't know, 10 years, my colleagues at MIT um, and I have been engaged in a partnership. And so we've started a mentoring program with MIT's best practices. And that mentoring program means that about 45 people in our community from various backgrounds, entrepreneurial, accountants, marketing, PR, technical experts, CFOs, they give back thousands and thousands and thousands of hours to our teams. So in a cohort, we typically will have eight teams. Um, and the the requirement is that they meet with their mentors once a month. So it's not a, a, a time strain on the industry mentor, um, but they're very organized. Mm-hmm. And so that, that 90 minutes um, is a high impact Um, guidance session um, and question session so that we start those meetings off, what keeps you up at night? Mm. So as an entrepreneur, it could be anything. And so we try to deal with that first. And our industry mentors are trained to be able to manage that. Each team has a finance expert, a marketing Mm. expert, uh, a technical expert, and then two that can be general um, to cover Um, the overarching challenges that we know startups will deal with throughout the year-long program. This is the cornerstone of pretty much all of our programming, and without our industry mentors supporting it, it'd be tough to have high-impact startups being successful without them. That's really cool. I promise to get to the leadership questions in a moment, but as an entrepreneur, I'm kind of just generally intrigued by, like, what you've observed and what you've learned through the years of doing this. Have, like, what have you found to be some of the entrepreneurs' greatest challenges, you know, when they're getting started? Is it, 
not to be too specific, but is it, or even too general, but is it they lack a, a, a healthy business framework to understand, you know, they may be really good uh, product experts on the product they've developed or, or whatever it is that they're starting, they're really good at that, but they lack finance skill or they lack a framework to, to operate an entire business versus just doing the little thing that they're really good at. Like, have you seen some consistencies or is it really different, um, you know, for each individual? So um, I think that... I want to say that's over 270 startups that I've seen launch in my career. That's a pretty big number. And so obviously this is not based on data, specific data. I haven't done a study on it. But one of the things that I think is very apparent is how men and women approach a startup. And I'm speaking in general terms here. But one thing that I think we think is very important when we mentor teams and mentor individuals is their coachability. Mm. And so if an individual, um, whether they're male or female, comes to the table with an open mind to learning, regardless of where they are in their development um, and their skill set, they tend to far exceed our expectations and and that has some exponential um, result in terms of impact in their success. Hmm. So if there was one characteristic that I um, want to see when I'm evaluating whether, a te- whether we should invest in a team, whether that's financially or whether that's time, which sometimes is even more valuable, right. it's a person's ability to look across the table and um, understand and, and think about things, um, you know, there's a book out there called The Opposable Mind, and it talks about how successful, successful leaders use an integrative approach. And so sometimes I may not know everything, but the idea that I can hold, hold two opposable thoughts in my mind and evaluate them and then move forward with some implementable, actionable item that's better for me as an individual and better for my business, it's a powerful thing. Mm. That's really, really good. It'd be fun to have a whole podcast on that. Just coachability. Yeah. And, and, and I loved what you said, this like whole integratable approach. It makes a, a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing that. So back to kind of leadership specifically, you, you have a lot of people you're working with. You're working with the entrepreneur, you're working with the researcher, you're working with academics, you're working with you know teenagers, right? Like yeah. young students, you're working with admin, administrators, you're working with community leaders. It's a whole kind of wide gamut of individuals. Sure. And so when you think and reflect on your own leadership and what you're bringing to the table with what you're trying to accomplish, what do you see your role as? That's an interesting question. I think that um, if I was going to use one word or one sentence, it would be championing the American dream. You know, I run a startup for startups, Mm -hmm. and I'm doing it in an environment called a university setting. And so there are lots of challenges that come with that. Um, but I happen to believe that if we can't, can't teach um, research, innovation, and entrepreneurship, problem solving essentially to benefit society in a university um, so that the American dream is alive and well, then where, where do we do that? Um, and so I try to find ways to engage our leaders and to engage the output 
So, you know, WPI, work in progress, right? Like, what is that? That is, for us at the Innovation Hub, the successful entrepreneur. And how do we measure that, right? And so I try to think about the person and, again, going back to meeting meeting them where they're at and making sure that I provide them the right access, which is a key term, access to the resources and the learning that they need to move them Mm -hmm. down that pipeline to be able to scale and grow. And so I will go to the legislature to champion resources. I will go to the industry to champion resources. I will put together a board to champion a cause called an innovation district to create um, an, an extended community and an environment where people understand these things almost at the visceral mm. level. Mm. Um, because without our all of our collective leaders coming together around this, we lose competitiveness, we lose opportunity, and our students don't get access to, um, um, you know, making change and making impact mm-hmm. the way they'd like to. Yeah, that's really good. How do you handle objections? I mean, how do you handle failure? I mean, just again, the the kind of the stakeholders that you're dealing with, uh, you know, it's it's a wide gamut from students who, who, who may have failed ideas or administrators who are struggling to see, you know, the vision or legislators who are struggling to see the funding mechanisms or, or whatever the case may be. Like, how do you hold fast to this vision and this idea that you're championing exactly what you just said? Um, so how do you personally kind of process and, and deal with failure, objection, things of that nature? So I think that um, I'm going to tear a page out of, you know, an entrepreneurship manual here and say that, um, you know, entrepreneurs wear failure like badges of honor. This is how I know I'm living a life on this planet. And failure is the process by which we can iterate through and learn through. And so I feel like it's the greatest equalizer. And um, I appreciate um, being a part of watching someone else's failure and helping them to rebound and find the appropriate path for them. Um, and even for myself, I, I lean a lot on the people that I surround myself with that have gone through challenges and have become successful um, despite those challenges and failures. That's really good. Uh, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. Um, I, I resonate with what you said about that whole badge of honor. Um, but it also ties back to what you said about being coachable. You know, n- not only you know is it important and critical to be coachable from others, but leveraging and utilizing the experience of failure to be coachable. Um, versus digging in and 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 kind of deflecting the things that you're learning that maybe you even caused in that failure. So that's I really appreciate uh, the way way you said that. How do you approach your own personal growth? Again not to keep coming back to this, but you have a whole lot of different stakeholders. A lot of times people in leadership may only have a handful of stakeholders. You kind of have quite a few stakeholders and they're all at very different levels, right? Uh, In age and experience and responsibility. And so you're constantly giving, you know, championing, you know, your vision and what you're trying to accomplish to those groups. So then how do you then focus on your own group, your own growth and stay inspired in, in the work that you're doing? 
Well, um, so I think my inspiration um, comes from my faith. I mean, that's sort of the basis of um, and and kind of understanding who Kimberly Graham is is um, something I should point out here. And I look at my own growth as, you know, my responsibility. Um, you know, God gave me life on this planet, and I'm trying to be the best human I can be. And so what does that mean? How do, when you get down to tactical things, um, I have a saying that's on my whiteboard in my office, and it says, be responsible for the energy you bring in the room. And um, I feel blessed every day um, to, to do the work for Texas Tech that I do and to be a part of this community. And so exposing myself to knowledge through um, reading, exposing myself to experiences um, like um, serving on a board, um, exposing myself to problems. Um, I know you and I served on the ALERT task force. You know, when our community and the communities around the nation were going through this pandemic and being able to step up early and try to provide some responsiveness to the challenges is really important. But in a lot of those conversations, I don't, I wouldn't have known the answers, but we mm. work together as a community to, to identify those things. So all of that gave me growth. Um, I'm currently in a PhD program. Um, and you didn't have enough to do. Huh? As if I didn't have <laughs> enough to do. I love to learn. I'm a sure. lifelong learner, and I love from I love to learn um, learn from biographies and podcasts such as this because um, you know sharing experience is almost as important as as reading about them, and so it inspires me when people go from you know, one place and, and elevate themselves and, and learning about the challenges that they had along the way and how they overcame them is, is sort of, you know, um, it's like my, my, my vitamin drink or mm, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just, I love hearing about that. And I love being close to people that have accomplished things that's, through, that's through really the cool. challenges. Yeah. yeah. Any, any biographies that, that uh, come to top of mind for you? Like I, I love biographies as well, mainly history biographies, but are there any biographies that come to mind that have had a particular influence on you? So, so I love reading those, but one that came to mind um, recently, cause I also watched the movie is, um, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg. She is such an inspir inspiration for, for women and, and equality. And, um, you know, I, I think being a champion for things that, you know, aren't always understood. Um, and so I loved her story and I loved that movie. I thought it was, it was great. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So how do you how do you balance all this? You 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 surely have a personal life, you have a work life, you have a faith life, you have a PhD life. Like you have all these things mixed in this bag that is your life. How do you find yourself uh, balancing aspiration and wanting to get something done? with just kind of a, a normal rhythm of life. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. how do you how do you try to practically balance all these things? So it's not easy. Sure. Um, or maybe you don't. <laughs> I, yeah. um, I, it's not easy, but it's interesting. I'll, I'll tell you a little nugget about myself, and then that'll explain. Um, someone um, not too long ago said I should take this test about um, – 
Um, it'll help me to identify my, my management and leadership style, right? And they take that information and they marry that up to when you're going through a search and to make sure that there's a good fit. And so I learned something really interesting about myself that I didn't know. And so when you're characterizing all of these different things, which it's, they don't necessarily look like they're in alignment, but in my mind and somewhere in my heart, they are aligned. Um, but what I learned about this, the, the test was this. Circle all the words that people use to describe you. I don't even think I engaged my mind when I did it. Mm. Then the second question, and there were only two, circle all the words you use to describe yourself. So I'm thinking, what kind of insights could they get out of this? But apparently it was based on 30 years of research. Mm. I did it. And the, and the gentleman came back. He did not have my bio, did not have my title, and he talked through scenarios of how I lead and manage. And I thought to myself, how in the world did he come to that conclusion? And the result was, and this, there, was a, there was a few sort of um, nuggets to take away from that, but the, one of the things that I found was really interesting and enlightening was he said that I'm on two ends of the spectrum, and so which, which means I love information and data. But it's what I do with it that makes makes me unique and in, in mm. this sort of group, percentile group. And I love to implement and execute. And so I don't like to learn things that I'm not actually going to take that information and execute. Mm. So here I am in a university environment with all of these smart people and knowledge and scientific studies and research going on, which is like, for my brain, it's my happy place. Mm. But then there's this sort of race car Formula One driver where I want to take, I want to pull from there, I want to take that, create a strategy, let's go. Yeah, and then do something. Right. Yeah. And so when I told, when he said, he said, you should be, you know, they tell you what they think that you should be doing. And they're like, oh, you should be a partner at JP Morgan. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, what are you doing? And I told him and he's like, huh? You know, he was surprised. And I, th and I thought, you know, I'm, you know, in this role, creating um, an entrepreneurial environment at universities, and I'm that champion. And he's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And so I think that, um, you know, I'm able to do things that um, I think I'm uniquely designed for. And I try to not, you know, hold myself to, you know, certain other standards because I'm doing something that I think is is very purposeful and very intentional about what I believe is important. Um, and hopefully other people will think it's important too. Yeah, that's awesome. What have been some of the biggest influences on your leadership, whether it be people, whether it be books, whether it be experiences, like when you think of kind of what has shaped you and what's you know been the greatest influence on who you are now, what, what are those things? Well, there's a couple, I mean, obviously I have to say my grandparents, they, they immigrated from, um, you know, Poland and Germany during World War II. So the nugget there is really the power in taking risk, hmm. the power in the unknown, and, and having the foresight to think that there was something bigger and better out there um, and how scary that must have been. You know, from my parents, you know, um, I think about hard work. My dad was an engineer. My mom was a nurse. He started his own company. He had all kinds of inventions and patents. Um, I learned about work ethic and, and values, good values. 
and things that you know are important to um, developing a strong community. Um, Brene Brown, she's a researcher out of the University of Houston, um, has written and done research on vulnerability. As a leader, I'm, I'm not gonna know all the answers, but accepting the fact that um, I can go and find them and or ask others that I respect and value um, and that have been consistent in their leadership. Um, you know, it's not a zero sum game. And so um, her books and understanding um, how to be the real you have been um, really inspiring to me. Um, and it's the things that people don't necessarily talk about. Um, you know, and most recently our local leaders. I mean, I feel like I've been given a gift with Chancellor Mitchell and President Skuvenik and President, you know, Rice Spearman, and Mayor Pope. I mean, wow, those people can have managed through crisis um, and inspired me to stay calm while you're going through yeah. it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. It has been fun to to watch, you know, it, I don't, it's interesting how people really gravitate towards everything on the federal level. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, the people making the greatest impact on our lives are local. That's and right. like you were saying before the podcast, it's like Lubbock's really unique in the sense that it has some remarkable first class leaders, you know, people you have never even heard of, uh, you know, doing things that maybe even not, you know, be in the public eye, but are just remarkable leaders. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I couldn't agree more. My, my favorite question to ask all our guests is like, if you could go back 15, 20 years and speak to your younger self based on what you know now, what advice would, would you give yourself 15, 20 years ago? Well, that's a big question, you know, and uh, I've thought about this, and I think that I would probably lead with be kind to yourself. You know, as a, a young person trying to find their way in life and trying to find your purpose, it's not always obvious, you know, and I think that sometimes we see ourselves through the eyes of others, and that can sometimes shape what we think we should be doing um, versus listening to ourselves. And, um, and I think, you know, enjoying life and finding your passion is a function of experiencing and being present. Mm. And if we're distracted by our phone or if we're distracted by everything going on in, in the media, um, you know, it, it, it it can remove us from that. And I think that that's a really, really important thing to remember is to be kind to yourself. You can't love others and do for others if you're not. You have to be in a good place, both your mind, body, and spirit. The other thing I would say is, you know, my dad passed away at the age of 59. Um, it shocked our family. Um, we had to sell his company and, and it was a really hard time. You know, this idea of, we, we all say we have to make more time for the people that we care about and love, but somehow things always seem to, can get in the way. And, and I think that if I, if I had known now what, you know, I should have known then, it would be to spend more time with those folks, mm. learning from them. Yeah. It's really powerful, especially what you said about really kind of experiencing and being present. You know, you, it, that requires a certain level of real intentionality to slow down, 
to choose to say no to other things and to be present in the moment or with people or whatever. And it's, it's really challenging, you know, to balance because like to, I feel like to be successful requires a tremendous amount of resolve and aspiration and effort and grit and determination. And yet to be present and sometimes to be fully, you know, in the moment requires you kind of shove that to the side. And so to balance those things, what you're sharing is, is really important, but outrageously difficult, I think. It really is. It really is. And I, I don't know that I have a silver bullet for what that, what that solution looks like. I just um, try to pay attention to time. Mm -hmm. It's more valuable than, you know, than money and, or anything else. I think that when I'm here, for example, and talking with you, that I'm connected with you and, and what, what we're trying to accomplish here. And I do that with our entrepreneurs. I build relationships through through that intention. And um, I hope that um, people feel that and sense that. Um, I might not be able to spend a lot of time with you, but the time that I am spending with you, um, I hope that I honor that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a saying, people, not, people may not remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And I think that's one of the greatest qualities a leader can have. That's really good. I, yeah, that's a it's a perfect way to end. I, I can't remember who said it either, but they talked about being where your feet are. Mm-hmm. You know, just be where your feet. Oh, Bob Goff. Bob Goff talks all the time about just being where your where your two feet are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love what you just said about really honoring the person you're with by being fully present. I mean, I never thought of it from that perspective, but. Whether it's, your, whether it's your kids or whether it's your spouse or whether it's your friends or whether it's an entrepreneur or whether it's a client or whether it's a stakeholder, it is it's really unintentionally disrespecting them when your mind is already three or four steps down the road. Exactly. But you're with them. So thanks for that challenge. That That's that's really good. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. It's it's really fun to learn from you. You know, our guests can't see this, but I got a whole page of notes over here that I can't wait <laughs> to kind of reflect on and dig dig more into. So thanks for your time today. No, thank you. I, I you know, to shine a light on on what people are doing in this community has been um, it's it's not an easy thing to do, and I respect the fact that you're doing it. Um, I want the world to know how great Lubbock is, and and Lubbock is great because. You've got people like you that are, you know, shining the light and telling our story. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I appreciate you you saying that. Mm -hmm. Thank you.